This is the Good Things Guy podcast with myself, Brendan DeCube, South Africa's very own Good Things Guy. I'm on a mission to change what the world pays attention to. I truly believe that there's good news all around us, and I spend my time hunting down and reporting on the best good news stories from South Africa and the world. In the Good Things Guy podcast, you'll meet these everyday heroes and hear their incredible stories. Candace Mama met the apartheid assassin that brutally took her father's life, but instead of hatred, she only felt love and shared the experience in an open letter to South Africa encouraging forgiveness. That is when I really got to know who Candace Mama was or is and this beautiful being that was my friend and that I'd never known this deeper journey that she'd been on. Since that day, She's done many great things since that letter that she put out there. She's been voted as Vogue magazine's most inspiring woman in the world. She was one of them on that list, the only one from Africa. She calls herself a forgiveness advocate, but I can call her a very good friend. We used to work together many years ago, and I'm so incredibly honored to have her in my studio just a couple of moments, days, weeks before she releases her new book. Candice, I'm not your mama. Wow, that like introduction gave me chills. Thank gave you. you chills. That was beautiful. Thank it was you. actually written by you. No, I'm joking. I'm kidding. I'm totally Shh, kidding. Don't tell people that. My goodness. No, it's so good to have you in studio. And yeah. I feel like the person sitting across from me is someone that I don't know from a bar of soap. Although we used to work at the same station many years ago. Yeah. Um, the thing about radio is generally the shows are, are quite spread out. Yeah. So you never get to see each other. Absolutely. And then all of a sudden you have a get together once a month or once a quarter and then you have a couple of drinks together and then you move on again yeah, yeah so yeah. the reality is i don't know you and i think it was last year or the year before i'm gonna get my dates wrong here yeah yeah but you wrote that letter that went viral and every publication picked up on it and they yeah. all put it in into their different spaces and the media spaces because it was so flipping important explain to me first you grew up in joburg right i did grow up in joburg yeah yeah joburg girl born and bred love the love the city how did you get involved in the media space yeah, so I mean, growing up, I think all of us in media kind of have that nudging feeling usually when you're growing up. You're like, I really like attention. <laughs> like, I'm such a show pony. And I think you kind of have that feeling of how you interact with people, how you interact with the world from a very early age. And I was no different. So I had that feeling growing up that, okay, I really want to be someone who I always knew I wanted to contribute to a narrative, like a greater narrative in the world. And so for me, I thought that way was to work for CNN or, you know, do news. And then I realized I've got way too much personality to be that stoic. <laughs> so I was like, this is not going to work. And so I started branching into the media space and I started at the station we used to work at. And yeah, it was incredible. And I loved those years at Cliff Central. It was always great. Yeah. The reason, and, and I mean, I've invited you to come into the studio today because you, you're launching your book soon. Yes. And I'm guessing a big part of the book is going to be about your dad. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was murdered, correct? He was. And, you know, it's a big part of the book is about my dad, but I think I focus more on what is the aftermath of losing someone you really love, you know, and someone that close to you. And in such a tragic way. For our listeners, just so they can understand, it was um, during the apartheid years, correct? It was, yes. He was murdered by Eugene de Kock, the apartheid assassin. I get chills when you said that name. Yeah. You yeah. said that name. And a couple of years ago, the prosecuting authority reached out yes. and asked if, if you would like to meet him. 
Yes. Uh, so I was 23 at the time and it was just another day. And I remember my mom said to us, you know, the national prosecuting authorities are having this victim perpetrator dialogue and they want to know if you want to sit down with Eugene. And of course, she said that to my older brother, my younger brother. And, you know, we, it was a discussion. And immediately when she said it, I said yes. But I don't think I had processed what I was saying. But I just a part of me knew that if I don't do it, I was going to regret it forever. Did you know at the time when you said yes what you were going to say or what that uh, meeting would no, be like? absolutely not. I think a part of me actually shifted it to the back of my mind. I mean, at the moment, I said yes. I thought to myself, why? Why would you want to do this, you know? And But then a part of me said, you will regret this. Like, this is not going to come across your path every other day, you know? And I think for me, the biggest thing was I never thought it would happen. Like, there was never a thought in my life where I was like, I could sit down with this person. And so when that first initial thought of it I thought whoa what's gonna happen and it was I think it was like about a week or so in between me saying yes and us actually going to go and see him in prison how old were you when your dad was taken from you I was nine months so I really have no tangible memory of my dad um, and I've only got one picture of him holding me so that's pretty much like everything I have about my dad yeah that's for me to hear that is absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, and then you get this opportunity to sit down with this man yeah. um, who literally took your childhood from you. Yeah. And um, yeah. it feels too great. It feels too great of a burden to take on and to be in that position, but you chose to do it. Mm. Uh, did the rest of your siblings choose to do the same? Yes. So um, my older brother was very hesitant in doing so. My younger brother's from my stepdad, so he was coming more for the moral support. And when we got there, I think all of us were kind of in a zone of uneasiness, but I think my family's got a great way of, or a bad way, I guess is how you look at it, of making things very lighthearted until it happens. I so, know your laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we were just like, ha ha, you know, it's going to be fine. Everything's going to work out. And I think it was after, you know, um, I think it was the director of the prison had sat us down and said, okay, Eugene's going to arrive at any minute now that we were like, okay, this, this is, is happening. real. And I think that's when it, like, it really struck all of us. And uh, for me, it was because I, think I only had one chair separating me from Eugene. So I was the closest to him. And he had just sat down. Like I didn't know when he had arrived because I'd been speaking to my brother. And I think I turned around first and I saw him. And I just, like, I think everything in me shut down. I was like, what is going on? You know, and so it was a very, in, initially it was a very much of a, I don't know how to put it, but I just froze and yeah, let the, head of the prison take control of the dialogue in the beginning. I guess it, it's almost like an out-of-body experience because Absolutely. all of a sudden you're getting this. It's like being in a movie. It's like watching a movie. Yes. You're in the movie yes. that you're watching. Absolutely. I think you said it brilliantly because it feels like that because a part of you is like, I've seen pictures of this person. And then there's also this almost subconscious idea that this is what I'm going to feel when I see this person. And this is what a person like this this is the vibration they should give off. This is the aura. This is the... Like, a, like a monster. Absolutely. And I thought going in, I was like, I'm so open-minded. I'm not going to have these expectations. And then I saw him then I thought, oh, you know, what am I supposed to do now? You know. On the day when you met him, did you say, you speak about regret and not wanting to regret. Did you feel like when you left that meeting that you had said what you wanted to say and, yeah. and that you'd walked away with peace in your heart? Absolutely. I I definitely said everything I needed to say and I heard everything I needed to hear. 
For me, I think I left not so much peacefully, but I left very conflicted in my soul uh, because the meeting ended firstly with me embracing this person. So I gave him a hug. And the final words he said to me was, I'm sorry for what I did. And your father would have been so proud of the woman you've become. And so it was just chilling. And I've, I, I'm, I'm literally got a lump in my throat. That yeah. is that is a lot. It is. It is. And we just had this very tight embrace. And I mean, I left conflicted because I thought, how can I leave feeling so much empathy for this person and feeling so much of his pain? And am I betraying my father's memory by doing this? So I had these two parts of myself. And I think it was when I reconciled the idea that my father wouldn't have wanted me to live in pain and he wouldn't have wanted me to, you know, love carrying this burden. Or and anger. I, or or anger, be angry. Resentment. All of it, right? And and then that's when I really got to the place of peace. And I thought, there's no amount of anger that I can feel towards Eugene that can add to what he's currently feeling. You know, so for me, I actually left almost pitying him, feeling really sad for him, that he'll never have another happy day. He'll never have another normal day, days that we take for granted. He'll never be able to have that kind of peace of mind. And the letter, then you decided to put pen to paper. Yes. And write this very emotional, very vulnerable, open letter. Yeah. Where, where did that come from? So initially it didn't start as a letter. Initially it started as, I mean, at the time I, w- I was a very, pri- I'm still quite private, ironically, but at the time I was very private and I didn't have many Facebook friends. So I thought, you know what, I just had this incredible experience and I just want to write a very short paragraph on Facebook and just let people know how it really affects you to walk around with anger. And so I wrote the status on Facebook and I attached the picture that we had taken with Eugene and people just started sharing it. And I had no idea people would share it. I was just like, no, it's not. You know, it's just a personal experience. It's not really going to impact people. But people really shared it. And after they shared it, the city press reached out to me, Farrell Hafiji. And she said, would you mind if, you know, we actually made this into a letter? Would you mind writing a letter? And I mean, I thought, you know what, if it's going to benefit just one other person who reads it, then of course. And so I did write the open letter and that went viral. I'm going to read a piece just so that our listeners um, can just get a gist of uh, just a paragraph. And I'll also put this in the article so that they can read it again. He had robbed me of a father and I'd subconsciously given him 16 years of my anger, anguish, sleepless nights and bouts of severe depression. One day, I just refused for him to take away my joy and enthusiasm for life any more than he already had. So I did what I had to do and I forgave him. Powerful, powerful words. Yeah. I think Thank forgiveness you. in this country is, um, I mean, we've, we're 25 years into a new democracy. And 25 mm-hmm. years ago, we got to see what Nelson Mandela did when he walked out of prison. And we live in his memory. And yet, we don't live in his memory. And yet, we don't take his ideologies and we don't put it forward. And you do. And you did. Yeah. And I think you are one of the most incredible humans for that. Oh, thank you, Brenty. I mean, that means the world to me. Thank no, for you. reals. For thank reals. You. And I guess that's also why Vogue gave you that award. Yeah, I mean, the Vogue award is just, it just came so unexpectedly. I mean, I could have never thought, you know, imagined that something like that would happen. But the, I, Was it because of the experience that you've been through and the letter and you going to see Eugene and the forgiveness that they reached yes. out? And it was accompanied with the work I do, you know, so I try and teach as many people as possible about 
what is this definition of forgiveness that we believe in as a society, you know, because it's very holy. I mean, in many ways, people think of forgiveness and they think of religion. And for me, it was about, you know, how do we strip it down from any religion and say, this is about you and you have to let go of this so that you can live better. And I think when we heal ourselves, we heal the people around us. And then it just kind of ripples right into society. So for me, it really became my mission and everything I do is because of that now. And and that's the, the byline called the forgiveness advocate. Absolutely. You know, because now I've become the forgiveness girl. <laughs> Which I love, which I absolutely love. But yeah, and so I think it came down to that. And of course, my lived experience and how dedicated I am to trying to just help as many people as possible, really. How do you go about doing that? I know you've got your website and yes. um, you've got your Facebook, which is fantastic. Thank you've, you. You've, you are forever <laughs> dancing. It, I mean. it, it brightens up my timeline on a, on a weekly basis where I get Thank to see you. your dance moves. Thank you. Candice does a little dance in the morning just to remind people to move. She's Absolutely. like, our bodies are there to be used. And I love this song and I love you and I'm, I'm happy to be here and let's all yeah. dance. And it's beautiful to see that. Thank you. And please do add that I'm not a great dancer. <laughs> Because I think people are picturing like these incredible moves. A, p- a pirouette. No, it's more It's more of like yeah. a cross between a jive and a washing machine turning. <laughs> <laughs> Can I explain it like that? I mean, that's a great way of putting it. Um, I think it's more like it is pretty much that with just the limbs going all over the show, right? <laughs> In my head, it goes to the beat. I can't um, apparently rem- not. I can't remember, but when I was younger, there was a Minamu cartoon, and there right. were those men that used yeah. to—they were like <laughs> shake <puppets>. their hand. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Like all, like you know, I don't know, like car dealerships love these those plastic things. things. <laughs> That just like move in the wind. Like I so, feel like that's me. So you've ways. sold yourself really well, and I'm sure there'll be a couple of listeners going over to your Facebook page right now you are to see all these welcome. dance moves. No, it's beautiful, and and you bring joy Thank to you. so many people. Thank um, you. But I want to understand how you've taken this uh, forgiveness advocacy, yeah, um, and being an advocate for this, and how do you implement it with action? Do you do talks? Do you do workshops? How can you teach someone to forgive someone else? Um, mm. Your story is inspiring, and and if someone reads that letter and when in a couple of weeks they read your book I'm yeah. sure it's going to be even more inspiring yeah. but how do, how do they then take that and turn it into action that's what I really had to sit down and think about so I do do workshops I do do talks and I realized that yes it's impactful to be in front of people because it's great right and I think it's a feedback process because you're getting feedback from the audience and you're giving your energy but then I realized that in this way I'm not Like I can only do so much. I can only touch so many people. So I've decided to, right now I'm currently working on a documentary. So it's going to cover not only my story. Yes. I don't know if you can hear me shaking with excitement. (laughs) I'm so excited about it. But it's still in the conceptual phase. But I'm speaking to people who will be a part of it. But it's going to cover so many stories, so many types of stories of forgiveness. And they're all very extreme stories of like one woman, you know, forgave her rapist, for example, and now they're friends. And it's it's things like that where we put ourselves in these people's positions and we say, but I could never, right? So I try and show people that all of us have the capacity to do it. Because I think for me, what I found in the beginning of my process was 
people and I mean I found it very flattering and lovely but people put it on a pedestal like it was like no but she's in the likes of like Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela and those people like are just born to be forgiving and kind and merciful and all these things and I was like yeah no you know I'm definitely not in that category of people and I'm nothing special you know and if I can do it it's within everyone to do so so I'm doing the documentary which is going to show people and it's going to hopefully allow them to explore their own capacity of forgiveness um, without shoving it down people's throat because no one likes that and I'm also working on a play um, and the play is going to really look at what could have been so it's not really going to speak about forgiveness blatantly but it's going to speak about what would have happened if I hadn't and so it's from my own perspective of course um, but I think that's also going to help people understand what does happen to our body physiologically because we, we look at it as like it's just a mental thing it's just an emotional thing but it affects every facet of our lives so I'm trying to do as many um because I'm a creative, so I love creative work. So I want to do it in as many creative outlets as possible. So that's my goal. So two things there. One, you are incredibly special. Don't ever talk to yourself oh, that way ever thank again. Thank you. Thank you. So that's the first thing. <laughs> thank and, you. And the second thing, I think the reason why you would be put onto a pedestal, um, and it's a, it's a good reason and it's powerful, is because forgiveness is not normal. When you're driving down the street in a neighborhood and all the gardens in the neighborhood are terrible, they all, no one's keeping them lacquer mm. and the weeds are growing and they're brown and no one's watering them and it's quite terrible. And you come across one garden that looks really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. We'll celebrate that garden mm. because all of a sudden we go, wow, it's incredible. Like that garden is the best garden, forgetting mm. that we should be tending our gardens. And then when we celebrate yeah. that one garden, it inspires others to start tending to their gardens because they also want to get that feel-good feeling of yeah. being celebrated. Yeah. And that analogy is what you did. Forgiveness is not normal. Mm. So, uh, human beings, and this is not a South African thing, yeah. human beings harbor pain, anger around with them. And we love, no, we don't love because that's a terrible word. I can't believe what I just said. Yeah, but yeah. we like to and we do carry resentment towards other people. So if you get into a fight with someone, yeah. Your first knee-jerk reaction is not to phone them and go, flip man, that was really a terrible conversation. I'm sorry. Mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my ego aside. You'd rather just not speak to them for a year, 10 years, however long it is. Absolutely. It's like this human condition is um, governed by ego. Absolutely. Sure, that's powerful. Mm. And you've somehow detached your ego and your pride from everything and gone and put myself in your shoes. Yeah. I'm going to look at it from a different perspective. And now you're putting yourself in a position where you're teaching others to do the same. Yeah. And I mean, I love the way you've just described that. And thank you. Um, You know, I think it's a skill, right? It's a skill of, I mean, Hollywood. If you look at Hollywood as an industry, there's no movie that's like, oh, you know, let's go see this person forgive. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... And look at that tagline and be like, oh, I'm no. not going to watch that. <laughs> I mean, that sounds amazing. Congratulations to the, you know, hero. But I mean, no. I would like, I would like the gory action. <laughs> it's like the vengeance and yeah. revenge. And, you know, we, we love putting ourselves into these people's minds of, you know, and it's justified because I think it expresses a certain part of human nature, as you said. And for me, I think because forgiveness is a normalized, it is so sanctified and it's so religious driven. And I mean, all of us have known forgiveness and I think it's how forgiveness is sold really it's the packaging of it that makes it not really it makes it almost undoable and things like forgive and forget like I mean I hate that phrase so much because 
you can't forget what has made you who you are. Like, and even if you cook, we wouldn't want to because it teaches us skills. It teaches us, you know, about certain people's characters. And another thing I always emphasize to people is you can forgive a situation, a person, a thing without accepting it back into your life. Like that's not what forgiveness is because people will be like, but I forgave my boyfriend. And I'm like, yeah, but you should let him go. <laughs> like, he's probably not the best guy for you. <laughs> After the third forgiveness check, you need to cash him out and let him walk yeah, his like way. Give the forgiveness and move on. <laughs> exactly. Forgive him and like wave him goodbye at the wave game. Goodbye. Like, and don't forget either. <laughs> don't forget. Don't forget. <laughs> right? Because sometimes what we tend to do is we, we like, I forgive this person, therefore I bring them back and they repeat the same okay, offense. But someone somewhere has taught us that kind of stuff. Absolutely. That's a learned Absolutely. behavior. And that's what's become really my uh, mission in some ways that we need to unlearn. And that's what I realized. It's not going to be a one thing, like a one talk. It's not going to be a, you know, me coaching just one person, even though those things are effective and I love doing them. But we need to start creating projects, doing things, trying to spread it in as many ways as possible that it can sink into the subconscious and the language becomes different. The patterning we say becomes different. And I don't think I'm going to be like this one man crusader, um, but I would love to lead that, you know. I think you already are. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Already <laughs> thank you. Um, tell me about, okay, so writing a book, right? Yes. yes. I've thought about this long and hard and I've watched movies of people writing books and I can imagine there's nothing like that. <laughs> what is, yeah. what is that process like? Firstly, I am waiting for your book because I think, that, no, seriously, <laughs> I'm dying to read your book because what you've done, and I've se- I said this to you before um, we got on air, what you did was you saw something that needed to be done in a time when it was incredibly difficult to do it. Because now, you know, when people see the end product, they never acknowledge the before work, right? Like, yeah, they're, like, okay. they're like, oh, no, he just, you know, he's just a good things guy. Like, it's just, <laughs> like, like, you're like, uh, no. <laughs> you know? uh, four years later, no. I haven't slept properly in four years. <laughs> but, but that's the thing. You've put in so much work. And I think now people are really getting onto the wave of we need this. We can't just focus on the bad because that's what we've been doing before you came along, right? And now it's like, yes, people can jump on that bandwagon and say, I'm going to start this because people need it. But you saw this trend so long ago that it's amazing you're that is very kind no very kind it's not just kind it's truth thank you (laughs) so so you're pioneering this and i'd love to read your book and how you think and how you go through that as far as writing a book nothing like any movie (laughs) so you don't (laughs) you don't wake up in the morning make a cup of coffee stretch out beautifully to beautiful music and (laughs) birds (laughs) (laughs) let's take like love actually right (laughs) so he goes to his cabin Mm -hmm. um i think it's in spain or portugal or france wherever he goes and he wakes up in the morning yes he's got a typewriter so god knows why but he wakes up in the morning gets a cup of coffee Mm. goes and sits on the pier with the wind Mm. blowing through his hair gently gently never never throwing his head <laughs> so you can get some creativity going, <laughs> yeah. and he, and then he writes, mm. and it's such a beautiful moment to watch. But that's not the reality. You know why it isn't the reality? I think it's because most of us can't go to a cabin in the woods and just seclude ourselves from reality, right? Like that's not most people's lived reality. So you gotta, you gotta wake up and make Enough. some dollar. <laughs> Right. Where there's so many things that occupy your mind, your family, your partner, everything like there's just so much going on. So I think what I had to learn about writing is it's dedication. It's pretty much you've got to set that time aside. You've got to say, regardless of what this is, the time frame I'm putting aside to do this. And there are going to be times when you're going to think to yourself, I've got nothing to say. <laughs> like, it's just that simple. There's nothing for me to say. Writers block. 
oh, and you're like, and then you start Googling and then you just realize authors are just so devastated. Start Googling and then you land up on a cat video and then it's just a downward spiral. And then the worst part is then you like, Stephen King is going to inspire me. So you're like, let me Google Stephen King quotes. And then he's like, yeah, you're pretty much right. So you bleed and miserable. And you're like, that is, that is not what I signed up for. That is not it. Um, So you're like, you realize that it's a process. Not every day is going to be a flowing day. But if you figure out like, okay, I write better in the morning. I write better. Like just find out when is your schedule? When is your brain at optimal? And then write in that time. That's what I had to learn. It's so hard for people like, you know, creatives. Even though people think creatives are all over the place, we're actually such perfectionists. Yeah. Like, it's got to be like this. We're obsessive. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, oh, I want to be a creative. No, you don't. Our minds are chaotic. Um, but throw perfectionism out. Yeah. It, that's the hardest part. Throw perfectionism out the window and don't have any expectations of yourself. Don't say, I've got to write the next alchemist. You know, yeah. don't don't compare yourself to anyone. Don't aspire to just say, I'm going to get this on paper. I think that's what helped me a lot. I just need to get this out of my head and onto paper. And that's all I need to do. And then after that, you, you'll realize, actually, it's not that bad. <laughs> you know, what I put on paper is not terrible. Go back. Then rewrite and yeah. say, I can add here. Because it's better to have like 20,000 words that you can add to than zero and they're all in your head. Correct. You know, so yeah. So, I mean, it's not a glamorous process. I mean, my brother um, is currently in studio with us. and Keeping he quiet. He wants, he wants nothing to do with the <laughs> <Nothing>. microphone. <laughs> but he can tell you, like, there were many days where I was just... Oh my god! I was just like, I'm never gonna get this thing done. <laughs> you did know? you Did you have a deadline? Did your editor I give did. you a deadline? I did have a deadline, Ugh. and luckily, actually, I operate like I'm someone who has to deliver. So I'm like, oh, I can't disappoint anyone else. I can disappoint myself, but I can't disappoint, which is a ridiculous mindset to have. But you're like, I can't. You know, this is it, and 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 so luckily, I did have that deadline. So I was like, okay. I, That's how the date I, water, I need to get there. How do I water this has to be done? So you can either sit here and cry and feel sorry for yourself, or you can get it done yeah. <laughs> and cry afterwards. Cry after. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So it's an autobiography and it focuses, yes. there's a little bit about your dad, there's a little bit yeah. about Eugene, there's a whole other version of who you are, where you've come yeah. from. Was that cathartic to go through or yeah. was it traumatic to relive some parts of your life? I think there are hot spots, you know, that you don't even think of when you begin the process. For me, what I, firstly, when I wrote the book, I had two choices that I could make. And my publisher was very easy with me. So she was like, write anything. You can write the three steps to forgiveness, for goodness sake, anything. And I mean, that could have been what I wrote. And it could have been a very easy way out for me. I, I don't have to be vulnerable. I don't have to really give a lot of detail, just give enough. Um, and then there was the other part where I had to, are you going to be raw, real and honest? And yes, it's going like you're going to feel exposed because it's going to be like so much of who you are but it's also going to help a lot more people you know so I just thought to myself if I'm going to write a book I might as well be honest and just tear the band-aid off for once you know and so there were moments where I think it was more of the idea of I've never spoken about this before so it almost triggered like oh you know is this too much is this you know but then for me, I realized that when I heard Oprah's origin story, I was so much more inspired by Oprah yeah. than when I just knew Oprah, you know, this incredible mogul and billion. I mean, you, how many of us can actually relate to a billionaire, right? You know, 100%. And, and for know? the listeners that have never heard it, I mean, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. Oh my God. Um, she had the worst relationship with, I think, her father or her mother, her mother. Yes, yes, her and mother. she fell pregnant after being molested, raped. And she got taken to a home uh, yeah. that they wanted to 
leave her at. Like it's the and worst. She must carry the baby. I it's mean. A, the worst of the worst story. Ugh. And today you look at her, and she's this mogul, and she's always got the best, cleverest, most intelligent thing to say, mm. and she's so motivational. But when you realize where she's come from, you realize that she's human. Oh. And that's what we need. And so for me, I realized that what I'm inspired by is those moments where we're like, that's why I really want to read your book as well. Like it's the idea of like being able to look at someone's journey and in your head just going, me too. I experienced that. I go through that. Like I'm, the, And when you can relate to someone on that heart to heart level, it's almost like it makes what they've achieved so much more attainable because you're like, hey, you know, it's not like she was birthed by an angel. <laughs> like, you know, and like. I do believe that perhaps you were. <laughs> I've got I wish, I do wish. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd never be humble again. <laughs> but, um, no, but, and so I became very raw and gritty and real in the book. And for me, it was to show people that you're going to experience these details in life. You know, we can't control so much of what happens to us, but it's our reaction that matters. How are you going to react to this? Is this going to be your defining narrative? And that's my whole thing. How are you going to narrate the rest of your life? Is it going to always be based on your trauma? Because... The world actually supports that. When you're miserable because something has happened to you and people know, oh, believe me, you can milk that train all the way to death. Like, <laughs> you know, like your obituary will read <laughs> your lies, you know, forever victim, you know, of this incident. And, you know, it was so sad. It was so tragic. And we can really feel for that. But most of us aren't really going to stop and, you know, for long periods at that station. Or you can say, yes, this is what happened to me, but it's not the only thing I am. You know, I've got other things going on and these other aspects of myself. And you can be those things without feeling like this has to be me all the time. I love that because you've literally handpicked your thoughts. You've handpicked your feelings. You've handpicked what you carry with you mm. and you've put it into a suitcase. And that's what you're carrying around. And you've physically made the cognizant decision. Yeah. To carry around what you do. And it's beautiful because you have written a book and it's going to be, there's going to be hard parts. And I, again, um, you'll read the letter after you've listened to this podcast or maybe you stopped it and you read it in between. Um, you'll understand the trauma that, that you've been through. Yet, you've come out the other side a bright, shining light. And I can feel it in the studio and I'm, oh, I'm sure my listeners will be able to feel it. Uh, when did your book come out? Okay, so it comes out on the 2nd of November. It will be exclusive books, Amazon, or leading bookstores. So it's going to be incredible. What is it called? Yeah, it's Forgiveness Redefined. Forgiveness Redefined. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, I want to ask you to give our listeners one simple act that they can do right now, a call to action to make a difference, to help them on their own forgiveness journey. First, I'd just like to say, you know, just be aware of your narrative. Every now and again, sit back and think to yourself, what is the narrative I'm living out? And that's definitely in your intimate relationships, because I think that's where we test it the most in your family life and say, why do I behave in these ways? So I think become more conscious of your own state of being before trying to help others, because I think in many ways, sometimes we think, oh, if I can help everyone else, then I don't have to deal with myself. And you are important. I think you are the most important person in your life, you know, and start treating yourself as such. I think in today's society, we are guilted for feeling like, okay, I'm the most important person in my life and I've got to do things that serve that. But I think if you don't do that, then you become less of an active citizen because you can't help others with what you don't have within yourself. So that's number one. Take care of yourself. Take care of your needs. Fill your own cup up. Say no. <laughs> Say no. <laughs> Say no. Say no. <laughs> That's not a dirty word, you know. No just establishes boundaries. And saying that 
no, I can't do that right now. But, you know, when I can, I'll get back to you. Like, that's okay. You know, so say no more often. Say no. And I think a great analogy for looking after yourself is um, put your own oxygen mask on first. Absolutely. It's that simple. Just look after you first and then you'll be able to look after whoever else you need to. Uh, Love yourself first and then you'll be able to love whoever you need to. Be kind to yourself and then you can be kind to... I mean, we can keep going all day. Absolutely. It's such a simple thought. Right. It's like sometimes the simplest things aren't the easiest things to do. We struggle with them. So I think that's number one. So that's with yourself. And then another thing is always just be a little kinder than necessary. I think that is going to change. Firstly, it's going to actually change your life. Like you don't think it will, but it will. It will 100% change your outlook, how you move through life, everything. Just be kinder and you'll realize that it actually comes back tenfold. Unexpected ways. You'll just realize that, you know what, I actually get way more back than I'm giving out. And I think that in and of itself is you doing so much for the world because we don't, we're not kind enough. We're not, you know, we're not consciously aware of other human beings around us enough. And when you can be aware, I think then there already, you'll be able to identify like, okay, cool. I can make more of a difference here. I don't have to really do anything here. You know, so I think then just in that way, then you are spreading and it becomes this ripple effect around you around your community and I think those are the most important things. Be kind to yourself and be kind to others. That's it. Candice Bummer, thank you so much for being on the Good Things Guy Jackpot. I've loved having you in studio. I'm going to wait for your book to come out and then I'm going to go purchase a copy. I don't like it when people I I mean I know sometimes they write books and then you give freebies. I'll support you. I'm I'm going to go buy a book and then I'll read it and then I'm going to invite you back into studio so you can sign it. Yay! And then we'll talk again. Yes, I'd love that. I'm going to leave you with this. Be kind, for everybody is fighting in a fight club that we know nothing about because we don't talk about fight club. That's it. Wishing you only good things. And for more good things, visit www.goodthingsguy.com. Okay? Love you. Bye.